1: Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day.
2: Have you been working hard to dominate your surgical residency? Do you want to help others to dominate no matter what stage of training they're in? Hi to all of our BTK listeners. My name is Nina Clark, general surgery resident at the University of Washington. And I'm Jessica Millar, General Surgery Resident at the University of Michigan. We both have had the privilege of working as Behind the Knife Education Fellows for the past year, and we're excited to continue growing our team. Are you a surgical resident interested and enthusiastic about surgical education? BTK is offering a two-year surgical education fellowship starting July 1st, 2023 and ending June 30th, 2025. Only residents who are starting a two year block of professional development time away from full time clinical activity will be considered, and you have to ensure that your institution and mentor approve of this fellowship. Fellows will be deeply involved in the BTK activities. The two of us have worked on an absite revamp, not tying video series, our new trauma video atlas, and a comprehensive student resource just to start. While this is an unpaid internship, you'll have access to all of the Behind the Knife resources, like illustrators, editors, recording and video equipment, and more to help make high-quality surgical education content. Applications are due April 16th, and you can find the link to the application in our show notes or on our Twitter page at Behind the Knife. You can also contact us at hello at BehindTheKnife.org with any questions. We've had a great time so far this year, and there's only more to come. We hope you'll consider joining us.
3: Hello and welcome to this education-focused episode of Behind the Knife. We're the general surgery education team from Cleveland Clinic. I'm Nicole Brooks, a general surgery resident and the current surgical education research fellow.
0: I'm Judith French. I'm the PhD education scientist for the Department of General Surgery at the Cleveland Clinic.
1: And I'm Jeremy Lipman. I'm the DIO and director of graduate medical education here. And today we're going to be joined by Titor Grancharov who is a professor of surgery and minimally invasive surgeon at Stanford University. He's the associate chief quality officer for innovation and safety at Stanford Healthcare. He completed his surgical training at University of Copenhagen and a PhD in medical sciences at University of Aarhus in Denmark. He's an internationally recognized leader and pioneer in surgical innovation, patient safety, and education and has done a lot of work in the validation and implementation of novel methods for training and assessment of surgical skills. He is the founder of Surgical Safety Technologies, which is an academic startup, and brings us to our topic today, which is the OR Black Box. It's a technology that uses data to reduce risk and improve safety in the operating room. And we're going to talk a bit about its impact on education and training, as well as patient safety and quality. Dr. Grant Shrop has over 220 peer-reviewed publications, invited presentations, tons of honorary fellowships and awards. He is a true leader in innovation, both in education and in safety and quality, and we're just thrilled to have him here. So, Theodore, thank you so much for being here with us
4: today. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much, Jeremy. It's nice to join the discussion.
0: All right, so let's start out with thinking about what is the OR black box and what are some of the advantages that it offers in educating trainees?
4: Yes, so uh, I think the name explains a little bit uh, what it does and what the purpose is. And uh, I think a lot of people draw the analogies to uh, aviation. Um, I know probably many of your listeners uh, are tired of these analogies between surgery and, and aviation. Obviously, we're not... Pilots and our, our our patients are not uh, aircraft. Uh, but uh, I was inspired uh, many years ago when I started my PhD by the process in the uh, aviation industry, the process of uh, capturing data, uh, studying risk, developing strategies to mitigate risk uh, using uh, the flight data recorder. And we all know uh, what it did for that. that industry and many other high-risk industries like oil, nuclear. So I was always wondered whether we could do something similar and uh, started my PhD in 1999 in uh, Copenhagen where the the, the purpose was to develop a system to measure the skill of the operating surgeon. And in the process of that work, uh, I realized how tremendous the the variability is in in our performance, Uh, how many factors contributed to that performance and how wonderful it would be if we have better understanding of these factors and uh, modified those of the factors that were modifiable to deliver better education, to deliver better care and learn from not only our mistakes, but also our successes. So uh, later on, I I spent some time with the team at uh, at Air Canada and realized that actually the black box is much more complex than I thought. There is much more to it than the orange boxes that we all see or hear about if there is an accident and uh, wanted to do something similar. So uh, it uh, it became a purpose of my academic work since early 2000s to now and it's fantastic to see how far it has gone but also how much more work we need to do in order to make surgery more predictable, more transparent, and safer.
0: Okay. And what do you think some of the advantages are in the black box in educating trainees?
4: So there are many. Uh, and probably the most significant one is the ability to uh, create a foundation for measurement and benchmarking. It's uh, We've been talking about measurement, assessment uh, of performance, of competence for a very long time. And still in 2023, uh, we still use archaic tools. We still use global rating scales. Uh, We still use some uh, simplistic models of uh, assessing performance based on dexterity. Uh, I think there's a long way to go in creating this foundation that is the foundation for assessment that is actually the foundation for learning. Without this assessment, I don't think we can talk about proper education. We can talk about just unstructured practice. So the black box uh, aims to address one of these uh, deficiencies and needs in modern education, which is scalable, objective, meaningful, uh, explainable assessment. Uh, And with that knowledge, we can power so many educational initiatives from coaching to deliberate practice to simulation and really deliver to our residents something that they've been asking for so long, a, a proper system to select them, to promote them, to coach them, and to eventually certify them as competent surgeons.
3: So what's the current framework for trainees and faculty to use this technology to benefit their education?
4: With the initiatives that uh, we've been working on with the Black Box, we've gone a long way at achieving this scalable assessment. Assessment not only on in the area of technical performance, but assessment in the area of non-technical aspects, human factors. And the Black Box is not the, the, the whole story, it's not the solution to education. But it is the tool that can deliver this scalable assessment that's objective and that's meaningful uh, and that's explainable that can be used to power uh, modern education. So I think still there is uh, a significant need to take this data and turn it into educational interventions. But without the data, without the proper uh, objective assessment, I think this becomes very, very difficult. So the status is uh, we can today deliver the the high quality assessment and then uh, working with many educators around the world we've shown that we can take this information and uh, use it to provide uh, better feedback and and better coaching and a number of of randomized trials we've done over the years have shown that trainees who undergo this type of evidence-based interventions significantly outperform their peers who go through the traditional conventional training in terms of performance, but also in terms of reducing errors and interoperative adverse events, which is really uh-huh. the purposes here.
1: So can you walk us through a little bit, what does it look like? So at what point does the information from the black box get utilized to provide the feedback? How does that actually work on sort of a an individual trainee, an individual surgeon level. How do, how do they get that information mm. and use it to, to get better in the operating room?
4: Yes, so that's, so that's a great point. So um, the way it works is once we do a case in the operating room, we don't have to do anything. We don't need to press start, stop, or uh, initiate any action in the OR. We just uh, go home and log in into our account, and we can see a video of the procedure Uh, We can see a library of the procedures that we've done over time. The AI models generate explainable metrics around dexterity, but also some information around intermediate safety outcomes, uh, which is the interoperative adverse events, bleeding, tissue injury. We can see performance as a continuous curve, Uh, so we can see segments of the operation where the performance was exceptionally high or exceptionally low. We can see the video of that. We can share it with our peers, with our mentors, and and get their feedback. We can initiate a discussion around how did I do the anastomosis? Why was this one so difficult compared with all the others? How would you have reacted in a situation like that? So it uh, creates this community where... An individual trainee or practicing surgeon can not only see their own performance through the video, they can also understand how an AI algorithm quantified their performance, but they can also, on top of that, share experience and and have a meaningful conversation and feedback, which was very difficult before. Uh, I mean, I've, I've been recording my procedures since I was PGY2, and we all know how difficult it is to review hours and hours of video and then take this USB key or or a DVD uh, and play it together with uh, one of my, or some of our colleagues or mentors. It's just, we've had access to video, it just hasn't been that easy to utilize the power of video the way other uh, high-performance industries have done. And that's very very easy now, and uh, I think... I can't imagine how a future trainee who goes through learning curves of various surgical procedures will be able to go through this learning process without access to these tools. I wish I had them when I was going through my residency.
0: So you mentioned that you can pretty much look at these videos and, and the data right away, and then you can have a feedback session with trainees right after that. Do you provide any guidance to your faculty members on how to go about this feedback process if you have you know, this four-hour-long video? You know, what are some of the things that you tell your faculty on how to move forward with feedback?
4: Um, I think there are a lot of groups out there who um, have done some tremendous advances in the area of coaching. I think what we do with the Black Box or what our goal with the Black Box is just to empower coaches with a tool uh, that will make their work much easier and much more feasible. We've shown in a study a few years ago that a meaningful coaching intervention shouldn't take more than 15 minutes per procedure if we had the right tool, if we had the right setup. And suddenly that becomes possible. Suddenly, uh, all of us, each of us uh, practicing surgeons can donate 15 minutes of our day to coach a trainee and, and, and provide feedback. It's still the coaching process requires proper education, requires proper setup, but with the tool like the black box that becomes suddenly feasible and i think it's something that will uh, change the way we deliver surgical education in the future i really think that without tools like that um it even even with access to video but without tools like that the coaching process is very challenging very expensive and not scalable so uh How that's organized on a programmatic level, how it's organized uh, on a local level uh, in each of the residency programs around the world, around the country, around the world. It requires some planning. It requires a proper setup. But I think with tools like that, there is no excuse anymore why we don't provide our trainees with the feedback, with the meaningful feedback that they've been asking for for so long, and and still we hear this probably the most common comment of a of a resident. Uh, at the end of a rotation is, I wish I had more feedback. I wish I got more meaningful coaching throughout the process.
3: So when you were working in a training program with this technology, were there structured expectations around what residents or faculty would be doing with their own video data?
4: So it's still a work in progress. It's still, there is no uh, clear playbook of expectations about the process I still think that there is a lot of room for innovation, and I think there is a room for meaningful uh, research in what the best delivery process is. But uh, I think now with uh, tools like that, we'll see more innovative solutions of how high-quality programs have been able to incorporate this tool in their uh, residency programs. And I think more and more trainees in the future will be looking for a process that would be incorporated in, in their training program that utilize the power of video, the power of uh, assessment, and, and the power of, of data science in the training process, similar to what we see in any modern professional college or high school sports team.
1: So, you know, if you were to predict down the road, you know, 10, 15, 20 years as the ai continues to evolve and the technology continues to grow what do you think an ideal state would look like for this for trainees and for surgical educators at that time
4: well i i uh, i've been dreaming for this point uh, for a very long time and i really think the the future education will uh, will look like this circle of improvement where we have a process of capturing data from uh, real life, almost a real procedure, that our performance there will go through a detailed, meaningful assessment. That assessment will be able to quantify everything, all aspects of performance, not only technical, but also uh, non-technical, and quantify things that uh, we've done really well and things that we haven't done so well. And those things where, where we haven't demonstrated sufficient skill and performance We will be able to take away in the simulation environment or in the coaching room and work on them. This is the true deliberate practice that uh, Anders Ericsson talked about in his work. So everything starts with clinical practice, rigorous assessment, targeted, individualized training interventions, and then back to the clinical practice where we can again evaluate whether training intervention has been effective, and then start again so this circle of improvement will be in my dream the perfect residency program where we link clinical practice simulation and education effective measurement and then starting again and this is uh, like uh, any type of improvement any type of uh, educational effort or quality improvement ef- effort there is no beginning and the end it, it, it's a circle it's a continuous process that we wouldn't be able to take full cool advantage of if we don't have the proper tools.
0: So in thinking about that continuous process, it, with regards to your own teaching, have you gained any insight that has caused you to modify your teaching approach or modify the, the feedback that you're giving to trainees?
4: So um, looking back, how I was providing feedback and how I was I was teaching in the operating room uh, and I was actually looking at myself through uh, some of the black box data. It's uh, there's so many things. Similar to when I did my first lab collie and I felt that nobody could do it better than me anywhere in the world until the day I saw my own performance on a video and realized that there are a million things I should have done better. It's a similar process when I look at how I've been teaching and providing feedback. and. I've always considered myself someone who loves teaching, who wants to provide feedback, but when we're in the action, often that feedback is meaningless, often often it's unstructured, often it may or may not be evidence-based. With the objective assessment and the video together can change that game. Then we can not only see things uh, much better we can not only quantify performance or aspects of performance much better, but with that knowledge, with that information, we can also provide much more effective education and much more structured and meaningful uh, feedback along the learning curve. We can also use that to uh, monitor progress. We can use that to uh, so for not not only formative but also summative assessment. And I really think that at some point, this information will be critical as we go through some of the, the the most important stages of the development of the surgeon, which is selection, promotion, and and certification. It will not be done anymore by a bunch of uh, good guys around the table, but it will be done by uh, meaningful, objective, unbiased data.
1: I mean, you brought up a great point. You know, if you ask a surgeon to name the three greatest surgeons in the world, they have trouble thinking of the other two. <laughs> yes. So making that jump, though, to getting people to watch their videos, to reflect on their own data, and to see objectively that there are areas to improve, that, that can be tough. So how do, you, how do you encourage people to do that, to, to let them see that there are areas that they could potentially be better at?
4: Uh, it is tough. It requires changing culture. I often, in my presentations, I have this picture of an older guy looking in the mirror and seeing a young, handsome guy. Uh, This is how we see our performance. It's our perception of our performance is is biased. But this critical reflection is extremely important. This ability, it's humbling, but the best surgeons that I've worked with uh, have always been humble people and they've always have had this ability to critically reflect on their performance and see things that, not only things that they did extremely well, but also things where they failed or underperformed. So I think adding this piece of information, incorporating it as part of the culture, incorporating it in the process of developing a surgeon from medical school graduate to a certified surgeon, I think it's going to make our profession much better. I think this ability to, uh, to critically reflect and having the tools to do that in a continuous uh, uh, way will make us better surgeons and uh, will make us better colleagues and also better teachers. So so I think this is uh, this is probably one of the greatest benefits of uh, of this approach and objective data it it serves as the mirror uh, the real mirror that will show us where we really are and what we need to work on. And I think overall, it, it will be a good cultural transformation in our profession, which hasn't seen many cultural transformation over past century.
3: It seems like the implementation of this technology is probably quite a daunting task. Can you discuss the process of developing the OR BlackRock all the way from idea to actually using it in practice?
4: Oh, that's, that, that, that's a long process. That uh, that was 20-plus uh, years of my uh, career. I wanted to do it while I was doing my PhD in early 2000s. And there were so many barriers, technological barriers, cultural barriers, financial barriers. It became a reality first 15 years later in 2014-2015, uh, where we could overcome technological barriers, where we could overcome financial barriers, but then the real work started, which is overcoming the cultural barriers, uh, because we are not used to as surgeons. As surgeons, we we made the, the operating room, probably one of the most secretive and least understood environments in healthcare or in society. And bringing this openness, bringing this you know transparency, has been uh, a massive task. Uh, but we've gone a long way. We continue to generate evidence that, with information like this, that with more transparency, with more accountability, with, with more uh, objective data, uh, we can be better educators. Uh, we can be better professionals, and it is the right thing to do, not only for us, but also for for, for our patients and for our profession. So it's uh, it's been a long it's been a long process. Maybe one day I'll uh, I'll write a book about it. And there are a lot of people who worked on this and continue to work on this uh, o- over the years. Um, but uh, I really like where we are today, and I really uh, it is really satisfactory to see all the evidence that continues to uh, accumulate on the impact of of this approach and data driven surgery on quality of education, quality of practice, and now also on the impact on 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 clinical outcomes and patient outcomes. We'll continue to see. That I know there are. A few large trials going on right now, and some of them I have seen some of the initial results. Uh, It will be will be exciting to share that uh, with our profession later on this year.
1: So a lot of our listeners out there
4: have really great ideas,
1: things they want to do to make education better, to make patient safety better. And I'm sure as they're listening to this, they're inspired by your success taking a huge idea and making it into reality. What advice would you have for them? Is there at the very beginning of this process to try to make steps forward and try to make this happen?
4: Well, probably two uh, two points I want to make here, and I, and I use this very often when I give grand rounds because I know that there are lots of young researchers and residents who are in the beginning of their academic career. And uh, probably the first point is there has to be a question. Uh, there has to be a clinical question that we're trying to answer and a problem we're trying to solve. Second, it's important to remember that this traditional circle of academic work, which is, let's find a question, let's design a study, let's get funding to execute the study and publish it, shouldn't stop with the publication, shouldn't stop with uh, the presentation. That's actually the, where the real work starts. So I, I use in my presentations this bridge. When I was in Toronto, we had our uh, our, our research center across the street from the hospital and there was this symbolic bridge. And this bridge uh, is truly symbolic because none of our academic work, uh, none of the studies that we present or publish matter if we don't take them across the bridge to the bedside, to the operating theater. So not only we have to identify a problem that matters or a question that is relevant, clinically relevant, but also once we answer it, That's where the real work becomes important, the real work of bringing this solution, bringing this evidence to the world. This knowledge translation piece is probably the hardest part of the work as an academic surgeon, but also probably one of the most satisfactory uh, aspects. So, this is probably the advice that I want to give to all the surgeons who are in the beginning of their academic career. Don't stop with the presentation. Of course, celebrate the publication, celebrate the presentation, but keep fighting to bring this innovation to the world, whatever it takes. That's really
1: outstanding advice. Thank you so much for being here with us, uh, for sharing your insights about developing this kind of technology, how it's being used, and the future state. It's really exciting to watch this develop, and we will eagerly look forward to the publications you're, you're teasing here today. So, thank you. Uh, appreciate it, and